everything else will get figured out. And so that becomes really step three, trying to simplify what it takes every day and have that kind of cultural mantra that you could lead everybody through to say, here's what we're going to do every day. And if we do this, we're going to be highly successful. Would you say that everybody that comes to you is immediately ready to sell or do you have to coach them through that process? What we would do is set up what I call a business continuity plan. Let's figure out well in advance of any sale. At the end of the day, how much control can I get over my future? And isn't that really the secret for most people in life? I want as much control as I can get. If I feel out of control, I'm not going to be very happy. I'm Cindy Barnes and I'm Travis Barnes and we are the founders of the Overcomers podcast. The Overcomers podcast is designed to help you overcome adversity and live your dreams. Every week we will be sharing stories of people who found their strength in their struggle. The Overcomers podcast is sponsored by Journey 333 and that's a lot of threes so let me tell you what it is. It's fitness coaching and nutrition. It is a place where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better, and it is mind, body, spirit. Today, we're going to help you get your mind right with our special guest. Welcome, everybody, to the Overcomers Podcast. I am excited about our guest today. This guest just did the most awesome presentation that I have ever heard. We were just at the Todd Durkin Mastermind Retreat that was Think, Dream, Do, and man, did he do it. He did it for me. Let me ask you a question, Overcomer Nation. Are you ready to live to be 100? That was the question that this presenter asked me this weekend and asked the rest of the audience, and it got me thinking. He talked about the seven different stages that a business might be in. So if you're out there and you're an aspiring entrepreneur or an entrepreneur, well, then listen up, because this man just wrote a book sharing 47, 47 different secrets of those that are successfully growing and selling businesses. The name of that book is Quiet Plans, Exciting Results. My guest today is attorney Dave Sider. Welcome to the show. Hey, Travis. Thank you. I'm really encouraged and excited about being here and hanging out with you. And you were pointing out to uh, to the audience of, uh, of last weekend's retreat, and I was able to get so much energy and a big part of it was due to you. So thank you for being there. Thank you for letting me speak to the group and thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Well, you did such a great job. I, I know we were all thrilled. You know, some of the people that were in the audience were presenters themselves. I presented for a lot of different components of our fitness industry. And, and man, I know you just grabbed hold of us and had us all just thinking about things that we need to think about. Whether you are a lot of times people don't even view themselves as entrepreneurs, but listen up. If you are a coach, and that means you have a coaching business, and I'm talking to my life coaches out there, my fitness coaches, and you're trying to independently grow it, then you have a business. You know, sometimes people think they only have a business if they got some sort of big corporate structure, brick and mortar. Um, but you, you gave questions to challenge everybody at any level. In fact, you discussed seven different levels. Uh, you know, before we get into the presentation, though, Dave, I feel like we should get into who you are a little bit. Um, so can you just kind of tell us how you wound up getting into doing what you're doing? And, sure. Uh, Happy and to do you're it. joining us from Kansas, right? Well, from Kansas, I'm in our office in Kansas City. I'm with the firm of Spencer Fame. We've got 22 offices. I'm in our Kansas City office. We also have an office in Overland Park, Kansas, one of the suburbs here. So, uh I can tell you as a child and uh, through college and law school that I lived in seven different cities and my father moved around for business. Um, and when I went to law school, I had this idea that I was going to be a criminal defense attorney or trial attorney and moved away from that. Really to get to where I am at right now, uh, I've had several roles a litigator. I was a bankruptcy trustee for a while. I've helped construction companies, but I found a niche that spoke to me, which is doing mergers and acquisitions. 
thanks to a client slash friend here in Kansas City, he got me involved in what they would call a roll-up, bringing together a bunch of construction companies. And it seemed to resonate. But what really became a focus for me as well as doing the litigate uh, the uh, transaction is to see people go through the process. And I saw a lot of strife, a lot of struggle. I saw a lot of happiness. In fact, I tell people one of the reasons I got into M&A is other than adoption is probably the only two things I've seen in the law that at the end of it, usually everybody was happy. Most of the other avenues that you take in law, you're probably not very happy because you know, you're showing up uh, with a serious issue that you need to have somebody solve. Um, but I also saw as much as I enjoyed doing the transaction piece, there was quite a significant human being piece, the agony and the struggle of getting to the point that they were going to sell and the difficulties that I think exist for people in parting with their business with, I would say with a lot of men, uh, and I'm, I'm not willing to say that with women, I, I, I think they handle it differently, but with men, a lot of times business is almost their spouse. A lot of times business is their first child and it's hard, you know, to part with that. I saw more and more of this struggle and anxiety. I decided I need to sit down and write a book, which is the book that you're referring to, Quiet Plans and Exciting Results, to try to help people with that journey. In fact, one of the chapters, I didn't talk about it at the retreat, is uh, the Oregon Trail. I, I I make an analogy of going through the M&A process, much like going down uh, the Oregon Trail. And you'd really like to have a wagon master go with you. You really don't want to go down the Oregon Trail by yourself because uh, it, the results may not be good. But there was something that spoke to my head, and but really to my heart about uh, what people were going through. I'm going through a very significant one right now, and everybody's exhausted. We talk about at some point you're getting to deal fatigue, and you're just worn out. Uh, but there is a prize at the end, usually, and it's a very positive prize, uh, very positive uh, experience at the very end of it. It's not anything you really want to go through again. And in most instances, Unless you are a serial entrepreneur or your private equity group, you probably only go through it once. So the experiences that I've had led me to want to share what my clients, not really me, but what my clients had experienced and went out and interviewed clients and they uh, were very, very uh, cooperative at a, at a high level. In fact, a couple of clients helped me rewrite the book, which I thought was interesting. They went into great detail and gave me some more anecdotes. So very blessed in that regard. Well, I've learned when I ask for advice, I get advocates, right? You know, so that's good when you you turn it over to them and, and yeah. you get so much help. You know, I wanted to uh, comment on something you said, because I've said it so many times. I've said, journey is my baby, right? You know, like, right, right, right. People come to you and they're like, so this is my baby. And I'm thinking about putting it up for adoption, you know, like, a sense, right. like it's a very emotional experience. Uh, would you say that everybody that comes to you is immediately ready to sell or do you have to coach them through that process of getting into a position to, to truly be able to sell their business? Uh, to be blunt, never. <laughs> never. Now, I, I need to be fair because that's an absolute. I have not seen with a first time uh, seller, I've never seen anyone really prepared on any level. And what I mean by that is 100 percent prepared. Um, you know, when you run a business, you're running the business for a variety of reasons, but you're not necessarily running it to sell it. You're not trying to uh, put it into position where you perhaps pay yourself out a minimal amount of money. You know, some people use businesses uh, to fund some extravagant transactions, which, uh, you know, they'll have to make that peace with their God and the IRS. Uh but there is a way to make your business look very, very, not only healthy, but increase the value. What do, you know, what is it? I need more, a bigger profit margin and I need more profit, you know, and I need to keep the expenses down. Those are the easiest ones. I can't tell you how many times that people are not ready for that. And if they would have prepared a little bit, it would have raised the value. Uh, equity companies, um, uh, private equity groups, 
or financial buyers will seize on those opportunities, unfortunately. But the other part of it is a lot of times people will come to me on the sales side and go, I've got a letter of intent. Somebody wants to buy the company. Um, and it may be out of the clear blue. There are a lot of private equity groups looking for deals. I mean, I get contacted quite often. Every attorney that does this gets contacted quite often. And, you know, it'll come in and when that comes in, you have a decision to make whether or not you want to go forward with it. And if your mind is not there, if you don't think you're ready, oftentimes it'll catch you off guard in a position of vulnerability because you're really not ready to take that next step. So two things. One, probably your business isn't ready at, mm -hmm. at the level it should be. And number two, you're probably emotionally uh, not ready either. The, uh, the third step is sometimes something cataclysmic has happened, a health issue, mm -hmm. no succession plan, uh, no one to come in in your immediate family to take over. So something will show up. The, that is the catalyst and the trigger for saying, you know, I think I really need to look at this because I do think it's time to go. Doesn't happen a lot. But I, I have seen that happen. Usually those don't go to conclusion. That is, they don't sell, but it starts them on the path to saying, I think I need to figure out what to do. In a perfect world, Travis, what we would do is set up what I call a business continuity plan. Let's figure out well in advance of any sale. And I'm saying like in your 40s and 50s, mm -hmm. what does my long-term plan look like? What is my succession plan look like and what is my exit plan look mm -hmm. like those are three different three different steps which you can talk about or three different intervals but what you're really getting at is at the end of the day how much control can i get over my future and isn't that really the secret for most people in life i want as much control as i can get if i feel out of control I'm not going to be very happy usually with the result. I'm not going to be very happy with the experience. And overall, I would have probably come back with some regret and said, maybe I should have done it differently. And that's what we want to avoid. How do you do it? You set up a business continuity plan. What is that? Let's figure out how to start from where you're at right now until the end of your time on this year. Oh, by the way, 100% of all businesses are sold. There are no exceptions, okay, as an owner, because uh -huh. you're going to die. I'm told that that's what's going to happen. Now, guys like you who are going to live forever, because you're going to live to be 150, you and TD, you know, that's it. not going to be an issue. But, you know, everybody is going to leave their business at some point. And I know that's a hard pill to swallow. It's not uh -huh. a conversation you want. But you don't need to be, you know, morose about it. You don't need to be upset, but you you can plan for it. Why? Because you want the control feature to leave under terms and conditions of your choosing. And in doing that, you maximize, I think, the outcomes. So you start with a long-term plan of growing the business, of which part of that is a succession plan. The succession plan meaning who is going to take over. And in a perfect world, you're doing that while you're still running the business. Here is my successor. Here are these successors. And then finally, the exit. I'm going to get bought out at this particular point. One of my clients uh, that came that evolved out of a very large publicly traded company mandates people in the C-suite that they go find their successor and they plan for when they're leaving well in advance of that actually happening. I, th I think it's brilliant. I don't see that a whole lot, uh, but that's really the way to do it. Now, this is a very, very large company, but they started out small and through this mindset of business succession planning, they've achieved this ability to have everyone find their successors and allow them to exit at the appropriate time that works for everyone. This is so good. So good. So I hope you're listening, Overcomer Nation. If you've ever thought about having a business, the people that are ready to sell, <laughs> you know, when they first come to Dave, are never ready to sell, right? Like that, that was, uh, you know, eye opening right there. And that's interesting what you said. If you're using your business to live extravagantly or, you know, finance some sort of, uh, you know, hide some expenses or whatever the case might be, you're also not positioning your business for a, uh, a good price, right? You know, for a good value, right? Because your expenses are too high, your profits are too low. Uh, so it really does pay to run a business well, especially if I'm going to come to somebody like you and say, okay, it's, 
it's time to, you know, plan my succession. It's time to plan my exit, you know, and, and here's where I'm at. Well, Travis, you've been trying not to profit because, you know, <laughs> you don't want to pay taxes. And, you know, so now <laughs> what are we going to do? Right. Well, and, and, and to your point, there's nothing wrong with that, but it just it doesn't put you in the best position for a potential buyer. I will also say maybe your best buyer is inside your company. And I, I would say that for maybe a lot of the folks in the business, uh, in, in the business, in, uh, in the f- uh, fitness business industry. So they're going to be watching you and how you run the business. And they're going to adopt that same type of business mentality, how you uh, deal with customers, how you bring in money, what your expenses look like. So right away, you should know that might be your most valuable potential buyer. How are you positioning yourself every day with them? At- you know, I know that you can't tell us all 47 secrets on this call today. Mm-hmm. We've got to get the book to read those. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think are some of the most important things for people to know? Uh, you know, some of the some of the things you really want them to get from the book. Like if you don't get anything else <laughs> from mm-hmm. sharing these exciting results, you know, that other entrepreneurs have gotten, I want you to get this. What are some of the top things on your mind or heart people to share? I think a couple of things that are very important that I have learned, and I've I've taken this on myself, is number one, discovering your unique ability, which um, uh, I think TD calls it divine ability or some uh, paraphrase of that. Or something like that. Yes. Yes. And, and the reason that I say that is, and I think especially for professionals, you know, fitness professionals are professionals, attorneys are professionals, accountants are professionals. And what I'm getting at are basically people who bill on an hourly basis or do it based upon their particular skill set. Uh, I know in the law, there was, uh, it's often been said, you need to be a five tool player. You need to do everything. That makes no sense to me. Nobody can do everything. What you can do is find out what you do best and then harness yourself to that. Dan Sullivan of the strategic coach would say with entrepreneurs, if I had a shock collar, I'd put it on all entrepreneurs that they have to live within their unique ability and not be able to go outside of it. And by doing that, you're going to be able to maximize what you do, your talents, your skills to the greatest number of people. And in doing that, that's going to accelerate your ability to grow your business, to be profitable, but really is a function of rendering more value for people. I do not have great skill sets in rendering value through billing or invoicing of my time. I don't. There are some people who are very, very good at it. I'm just not you know, I'm not one of them. I'm not someone that's going to ha- be able to help people at any level with computers when they break down or the Xerox machine. There are some people that are very good at it. I mean, I, right now, if you can, if you know how to deal with computers and software and all that, I think you're friggin' brilliant. It's just not my skill set because nobody can live without it, you know, anymore. Uh, so I think the first thing is to find out what you're good at and find other people to surround yourself to do everything else. You are the leader. You have to show the way. And the way you do it is by what you are absolutely the best at and delegate other things and not try to micromanage it, but find people that have the skill sets. There are tools and tests you can take. One of them is called Colby, K-O-L-B-E.com, where it will help you deal with this. Kathy Colby has invented, it's for entrepreneurs. You can figure out what you do best. You can figure out what skill sets you need from other people. So, you know, I think that's uh, the first thing. I think the second thing is um, in the business of professionals that we are, there is a ceiling that we will hit because basically we're doing it on an hourly basis. And so you're limited as far as the scope of what you can do because there's only so many hours in the day. And the question becomes, then how do you multiply your skills and abilities given the limited amount of time? We go back to unique ability. I'm going to work in my unique ability and stay there so I can maximize the profitability of my time. I didn't say money, but profitability of my time to create the maximum amount of value to my customers and frankly, 
uh, my employees and the people that work with me. And I think it is a two-way street. You know, I will say to the people around me, there's only two things we have to do. We don't need to make life complicated. We take care of our clients and we take care of ourselves. That's it. Everything else will get figured out. And so that becomes really step three, trying to simplify what it takes every day and have that kind of cultural mantra that you could lead everybody through to say, here's what we're going to do every day. And if we do this, we're going to be highly successful in any endeavor we get into. And more importantly, if we do this, it will help us rally together when difficulties arise because difficulties will arise, you know, any way you like it. Um, you know, some of the anecdotes in the book are, you know, personal things that I saw and experienced. Uh, one of the uh, kind of taking a little bit of a tangent. Um, I have one chapter in what I call the immortal man, the man who is going to live forever and design the business that way. And, and it just uh, it, it's it's not unfortunate, but it doesn't allow the other people in, in the family, in the business to succeed once he passes. That business in particular does not exist anymore. You know, it went away. There's nothing worse as an attorney when you're trying to help people in succession planning where you get the call from the hospital from um, usually a, a sibling that says dad's passed, right? Um and I've had that happen, and it's not a pleasant experience. If if you're like me, you get to know your clients very well. It's important that I, I know them, and it's a little frustrating when we couldn't get them over the goal line. And that, that particular individual in his business doesn't exist anymore. And so you would want people to, to avoid that. It's one of the first couple of chapters in the book. Yeah, I, I think the – go ahead. Oh no! I, you know, I'm I'm taking notes. I'm I'm writing feverishly. I'm uh, the information you're sharing. You're just dropping a ton of great gems for our audience. You know, unique ability, uh, the ceiling, simplifying what we do every day. You're you're speaking my language because I'm a systems guy as a franchisor, right? There must be a system that we can create to simplify or automate and and better leverage our time. You know, this unique ability though, I have to share with you that. I was kind of stuck on it. And so that's why I want to dig a little okay, deeper. Okay, let's dig audience. into it. Yeah, because I was like, because when you sit in a room of yeah. fitness professionals or something, you might be thinking that what you're doing in life isn't so unique. You know, I I started off as a fitnesspreneur. I'm a franchisor of a fitness company now. Then I did a little homework just okay. over this past weekend. realized Good. that there were 330 million people in the United States only a little over 100,000 uh, fitnesspreneurs, people that own fitness businesses in the United States, which took it down to, I think it was like 0.003%. And I'm like, well, that is kind of unique, right? And so right. like when, you, when you're in this group of people that might do what you do, you might not look at yourself as unique. But then I was like, just much like yourself, Dave, this is something I think that we have in common. You're a dream maker. People come to you and they're like, you know, I have a dream of retirement, you know, a succession planning. I want you to help me sell my business. And you put the pieces together that need to happen. I have people come to me and say, I always wanted to have a fitness business and I need the systems. I don't want to fail. I need to you know, make this work. And so I, I make that work. And, and that's pretty darn unique. So I, I didn't. <laughs> it's funny how many characteristics of myself I was putting down on paper. until I was like, well, hold on a second. You know, I'm a, a franchisor of fitnesspreneurs. That's pretty darn unique. So what would you say to people? I know there's like some 80-20 rules and different things you can do that really want to dig deep into this unique ability concept and, and and maximize it in their life. Do what they're put on this earth to do. Well, I think if you drew a box, and we did this at the conference last weekend, if you, you drew a box, you have four segments to the box, and uh, you put down in the lower right-hand corner, right, lower right-hand corner, put an I. That's what you're incompetent at. And then on the on the lower left side, you would put what you're competent at, what you can do. And then the upper right side, you put things that you're very good at. And then the last one is the upper left side, which is UA, which is your unique ability. And what you should do is fill in all those boxes. And when you get done, basically erase the three boxes other than the unique ability. Here's the real tough part. Then every year, start with the unique ability 
okay? And divide that up into four boxes again. In other words, every year, if you want to really drill down on this, every year you continue to redefine your unique ability. If you're getting better at this and you've declared for the first year you've gotten rid of what you're incompetent, competent at, and what you're very good at and your unique ability, next year you'll take that unique ability quadrant and say, well, some of these things I'm going to get rid of. You're not incompetent and you're not, and you are competent, you're pretty good at it, but some of those things you're going to get rid of so you can continue to go forward. I learned from, again, Dan Sullivan, and this is what's helped me with the book, and I think it helps with unique ability. Um, there were three reasons he said we should write a book. First is marketing, obviously. Second, he said, if you don't write a book, you're selfish because there's something that you know, okay, that you might think is inconsequential to somebody else is very, very significant. And so that caught my attention. But the third one, and I think it plays into unique ability a little bit, is this. You have too much stuff in your head. You got to dump it out so you can take in more information. You're like, to me, it's like a computer. You only have so much memory. Okay, so you're going to have to get rid of some of it. I use the same analogy for uh, unique ability. Continue to explore and go deeper and shed those things that aren't at your absolute true north. And then of that true north, parse out that true north and even go deeper into that. You know, you're, you know, you're a franchisor. Okay, so I look at you, and we need to talk about the pickle jar on this uh, that we talked about last week. But I look at you, and I you see yourself as a fitness professional. That's not how I see you, Travis. I don't know if I told you that. Okay, you are you are a a franchise entrepreneur. That's what you are. It just happens to be in the fitness space. Okay, okay. so that's how I see you. Um, and that's not to say anything negative one way or the other about uh, what you were doing or, or de-emphasize it. But I, I tend to look at you under that, you know, that framework. You're Ray Kroc of McDonald's, okay? I mean, that is what, it, for the most part, you stand for, as I see it, because you're motivating all of these people and leading them to how they have their own businesses and create a system that you can support. So I would encourage you to go, all right, is your model now going to be um, somebody in the fitness industry? And I would say, no, your model is going to be, what are other people who are in the franchise business? And even if they're not in the franchise business, you know, a large company that's running multiple offices and by large i mean having uh several different entities underneath what what do they do and what where would you go to get that kind of advice does that make yeah. some sense no that's really really good in fact that speaks to your process of refinement each year you know narrowing in on what it is that you're doing and what your unique ability is these days i certainly learn more from other franchisors than I do from other fitness professionals because I'm engaged in franchising a business and they're engaged in coaching people to fitness success, which, you know, both are in my area connected, but I have to zero in on what it is that I'm doing. So that really does speak to me. That that's, that's well, really good. And having had to write in my younger years, UFOCs and the disclosures and try to help with the business. And when you, you got to get them to, you know, uh, sign off on getting the UFOC, the circular before it goes out, and royalties and advertising. Uh, just, you know, that is its own business in and of itself. And it's hard, hard work, you know, and heavy lifting. And I'm sure at some point you'll get somebody to handle 100% of that so you can be out front talking about what is the business purpose behind what you're doing. And again, that becomes your unique ability. You know, that is actually the questions I'm asking myself nowadays is what does the future look like? What will I be best at? I can't be doing everything that's involved in every arm of the franchise. Yeah. So, uh, you know, how will we continue to refine my role as right. we grow? Uh, so that is really great advice. So here's my question to you, because I want this to speak to our entire audience. And so if you had some words of wisdom, let's say that we got some listeners right now and they're they either have a business, they're thinking about starting a business. What are your top tips, whether three, five, whatever, that they need to think about from the start or if they're engaged in business right now to make that business the most valuable? Because when you're talking about succession planning right now, I'm thinking, okay, 
you know, he says, you know, start in your 40s and 50s. This was, you know, earlier on in our podcast that you said that. I'm like, oh, what's my succession plan then? Okay, let me, I don't have one. I'll admit that. I'm going to have one because you're my friend now, you know, so I'm like, okay, (laughs) I'm going to have one. Uh, But, you know, first we need to know, one of the top things you need to do to make your business the most valuable, because every business is sold, right? Right. You said that. And then, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that. I think, you know, I think I talked a little bit about this last week, but I think a lot of people go like, I want to be Elon Musk or Bill Gates. I think it's too hard. They're savants. They're, they're, they're outliers. And, you know, the, the real issue is, is there a business you can mirror or almost mentor off of that is more realistic to your personality and how you're wired? So, again, I think the first issue is knowing yourself, what you're capable of and what you're you know, what you think you can do in the business world. Most of the business people that I've seen over the years that have been wildly successful, it's not about the money. I mean, it is about the money, but that's not the driving passion. They believe that there is something that they're bringing to the marketplace that is uniquely uh, needed. And they can in, you know, somewhere in 30 seconds or less, explain it to the T. I, I, you probably have an elevator speech and everybody's developed an elevator speech. And I would, you know, ask people to go out and try their elevator speech on people. If you stumble with it, if it isn't natural, you're not there. Here's the good news. You can get there. All it takes is two things, uh, authenticity, honesty within your own mind and repetition. That's about it. You just got to do it over and over until you believe it, but it's got to be authentic and it's got to be valid. Uh, you know, in how you look at the life. And again, it becomes a question of who, you know, and what you are. I think the second thing is always trying to find that differentiation that can make you somewhat unique in the business sense. I don't think you went out and sold your concept of the fitness business uh, by saying, I am another uh, fitness professional. You know, that doesn't pose any kind of benefit. The people that I've seen, I mean, I've, I've you know, one client sells uh, burial crypts and caskets. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is, a, that is a, a business that doesn't perhaps appeal to everyone, but there is a value and a place for it. I've got another client that sells building materials. I've got another client uh, that's involved in insurance and annuity business, uh, people in construction. But if you talk to them, every one of them can give you a very express 30-second commercial or elevator speech about themselves, and you get it. It's, and you can hear it, and you can feel it. It resonates, and they're absolutely committed to it. Yeah. I think the third thing, uh, third or fourth, wherever we're at right now, is um, – you probably have, unless this is an inherited business, you probably need to go find somebody that's in the business, okay, and and try to mentor off of them and figure out if that is really where you belong or need to be. And, and maybe I'm giving this to people that are are younger than you and I that are just starting out. Uh, sometimes some of the businesses that you're going to look really, really, for lack of a better term, neat or exciting. And business is not always exciting. In fact, a lot of times, uh, as you know, it it isn't. There's nothing better than going out and trying it under somebody else's tutelage and or read about what other people have done. And which goes to number five, if we're up to there, you only learn from failure. Mm-hmm. If somebody comes in and says, you know, uh, you know, I've always been successful. It always reminds me of the guy that goes to the casino and they always win. And the statistics would indicate somebody's lying here, either the casino or your friend. That ain't happening. So uh, the, the question is, how can you learn from other people's struggle? I don't believe we're placed on this earth as failures. I believe certain behaviors fail. 
but I don't think people, as long as you're getting out of bed, getting up and going forward, I don't think you're, you're a failure. So you can take the hits and the defeats as long as you get up one more time, you know, then you go down. But, you know, I think it's those, I think it's those five characteristics that'll set people down the right road and, and be Muhammad Ali who said, you only have to get up one more time than you go down because I don't, you probably seen it with a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people come close to failure. I've seen with their business, but they pick up and go on. I've seen people who've lost their business and yet pick up and go on. We know people in the fitness industry where they sold their business, come back and bought it after it failed from the person that, that bought it. So a lot of it is just tenacity. It's um, grit it's endurance, it's persistence. And that's really what it's all about. And here's kind of the final one. Maybe you want to go into business, but maybe you shouldn't. Not everyone is cut out to be a business owner. Yeah, And I would ask you this question. There are a lot of difficulties. In your experience, what are those things that you've done that have somewhat challenged you at times that made you wonder whether or not you should still be in business? Because that happens to everyone. Uh, again, I'll go back, Kathy Colby. I mean, she can help people identify if they're truly entrepreneurs. Not everyone should be an entrepreneur. What I mean by that is an owner. There's a difference, obviously, by analogy in owning a house versus renting a house. It's the same with business. If you rent a house, you don't really care if there's a leaky ceiling. If you own it, you're going to fix the ceiling. Very good. You know, uh, thank you for that opportunity. Uh, you know, I will say this, uh, the pandemic itself is something that can take the life out of you as you're you're believing in this greater purpose that you're out there and you're doing what you're supposed to be. And and then the government comes along and says, hey, man, uh, your doors aren't allowed to be open. You know, right. And in fact, you even feel like they're talking smack about you, that you're a dangerous place. Yeah. To be. <laughs> right. I'm like, wait a second, we saved lives. You know, what are you talking about? And right. so then you question your existence. And of course, it takes a lot of the, the wind out of your sails. And, and then, you know, how do you how do you get that reinvigorated? Um you know, you have to go back to something you were talking about earlier, which was the elevator speech. To me, I learned a few years ago that my elevator speech is not what we do or how we do it. Our, our My elevator speech is why we do it. You know, like we add life to people's years, you know, and we yep. add years to people's life. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, that's what we do. And, you know, how do we do it? Well, we, we put the fun in functional fitness and it makes people want to keep coming back until they get those results. And, and then people are like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, well, it happens to be a group training center. But like, that's, that, that's so insignificant to me these days is like, it's more really like the why behind what we do. And, um, you know, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll end with this. And if you haven't found something worth dying for, then yes, you're not yeah. to live Martin Luther yeah. King. And, right. And here's what that really speaks to me and says, there are times where I got up at two, I still get up at two 30 yep. in the morning <laughs> yeah. and I've worked all day long and I, I'm nauseously tired. And I said, man, what am I doing? I'm, I'm a little imbalanced here. I'm a little overwhelmed. And then I, I realized the cause that I'm serving. And, and I realized that there's people that are alive today and that are living a healthy mobile life with their grandchildren and, um, that kind of thing because of what we do, because of the service that we offer. So, uh, you know, you have to tap into that. You have to tap yes. into that why. You have to tap into that deeper purpose uh, and live out your unique ability. So, uh, you know, I'm getting, sometimes we're getting confirmations and sometimes we're getting, uh, you know, education uh, throughout this. So thank you for that confirmation. Uh, I think to your point too is, I want to reinforce it, is money is a byproduct. It's not an end result. To your point, if you're if you're living your values and how you impact people, uh, the money will show up. But I mean, you and I, we've talked about this. It's the impact that you make in people's lives and on the community and the culture and society. And I don't want to be telling too much at windmills, but I think it, that's the bigger purpose from that money and the abundance that you want will come from it. And hopefully enough that you can give back through charitable contributions or, you know, your church, you know, whatever uh, vehicle you think appropriate. That's really good. You know, I, I heard it said this quote, it says, if you focus on your customers, you'll have profits. But if you focus on your profits, you might lose your customers. Your customers, right. Oh, That's a good yeah. one. So that yeah, is a good one. Know, 
focusing on that, you know, uh, or people have said, fall in love with your product or service, yeah. you know, not in love with the money or the, you know, whatever. So um, let me, uh, let me ask you this. Why should people get this book? Why should people, you know, get the uh, 47 secrets to big business success? Quiet. That's the subtitle. Quiet yep. plans, exciting results. Well, thank you. I, as an aside, I, I wanted to call, I wanted to entitle the book, uh, Never Take a Chicken to the Movie Theater. Uh, and I use that I'm as, <laughs> that is my way. And uh, the publisher, uh, Greg Justice and Kelly Watson, actually Kelly Watson said, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> so that won't be understood. But my reason for saying that is, um, I use that as an analogy, uh, like uh, Abraham Lincoln did to try to teach a lesson. And the less, the reason I say that you don't take a chicken to the movie theater is after it doesn't do a whole lot for me. And after a while, it makes a chicken mad. In other words, let's not do things that don't really drive the cause. So I'm hopeful through the through the book, people learn the lessons and the challenges of how to, of growing their business, of the M&A process, what that is all about, and, uh, you know, how, how to hire a professional, what to look for, to guide them. Uh, I don't, there's not any, as I recall, I don't think there's any law in there. I didn't write a legal book. There are plenty of those out there. It's trying to help people on this road uh, to get them from where they're at to where they want to go. Uh, I have a podcast called Show Me the Way, which I interview uh, a lot of the people that have gone through the process or involved in the process or advise people in the process of either growing their business, engaging in business continuity or succession uh, planning or exit planning, because it is a unique function. You know, you don't, it is for most people if they're involved in this they're doing it once and i don't think most of them are prepared and would really like to be prepared and would like to have this as a reasonable experience and hopefully a great experience so that's the purpose behind the book after you know practicing law for 44 years there are some things that my clients have taught me that i thought was so valuable i need to pass it along that's really good when it comes to mergers and acquisitions uh, how long is that journey for people typically? You know, I mean, how many is it years that sometimes you work with some customers? What's the average uh, time that you're working with somebody getting them ready to sell? Well, there's really two different answers. The first answer is it can take, you know, I would say three years to really get ready. Why do I say that? Because most people look at your business want to look back over the prior three years, your financial information. Okay. So that's what I say. There are some people I've worked with longer than that because they're really dealing with continuity planning. That is how to maintain the stability and growth that they want with the business. And they're looking really beyond selling it. They're looking at creating a legacy. They're really looking at creating a business that will continue uh, forever. Not everybody does that and that's okay. But I, I like working with those people to create a bigger picture because most people that I find run businesses, they're very, very concerned about their employees and the people that work for them. And oftentimes their clients or customers. So it transcends that. So it can take a few years. Um, I have usually seen from the beginning of the first conversation with someone uh, to the time that they sell the business, you ought to plan a minimum of 12 months and it's more like 18 months because you're talking about um, assuming that you have not found someone or not aware of anyone to buy you, putting your business up to the marketplace for sales. You're going to hire an investment banker or a broker to help you get it ready. You may or may not get with an attorney. You may or may not get with an account, but you'll put it in place. It'll probably take, you know, depending on the time of year when you go to market, uh, it's going to take at least three or four months to get someone that's really interested, maybe to go to an LOI. And then an LOI is a letter of intent. Then you go through the negotiations for the documents they do to the due diligence on the business. Monies are located. You finalize the plan. It's rarely uh, less than a year all in. Now, sometimes I don't get involved until the LOI is in place. And then there's crunch time. I've got to get it done rather quickly. Uh 
that presents problems usually for both parties. If they're too quick, they tend to overlook things. So you try to put things into perspective and maybe they don't want to do everything in accordance with what we say is standard, but you try to put it together in such a way that at least everybody understands what they're buying and what the risk is. I think, you know, a prudent sale of a company of more than say $25 million, you're probably going to look at it at least in terms of and I would say 25 million or less at least a year and uh, longer than that it's going to take more time but having said that I've seen it happen quicker you've mentioned crunch time because they already have an LOI in place when do you recommend that somebody talks to you I like them uh, the last three are like this I want them to talk to me before they finalize it because there are some things that I can write in, it's simple things that people overlook, like, am I going to keep my car? What about any type of uh, loans that I've made to the business or taking money out of the business that I may have to repay? To repay? What about, am I going to be a consultant? Am I going to be an employee? How am I going to, you know, fit in going forward? There are some uh, legal issues that I would bring up that kind of transcend all of this that, you know, maybe is a little too much for what we're doing today, but something called a basket, something called a cap. In other words, how to limit our liability. Conversations that you can have up front that will benefit down the road. A letter of tenet a letter of intent typically is non-binding, but you're also setting the precedent for negotiations. You start deviating from that substantially, and it's going to make the other party very nervous, uncomfortable, and could lead to disaster and blowing up the deal. So you want to get, at least on the big business points, as much nailed down as you can with the understanding there are some things we'll have to work through. And it's really, you would hope at that point, just the legal documents. But if you find yourself negotiating more and more business points, it may cause some anxiety and frustrations for both parties. And are some of those secrets that you just mentioned, some of those things that are not often thought about, are they in the book? Some of them are, yes, but there are a lot, there's some of it I left out because there are more stories about the individual's experiences in going through it. And um, a lot of times after the fact, some of those nuances aren't really remembered anymore. They're not significant. What I'm pointing to are things that can make the negotiation much more difficult. And you don't want it to be difficult knowing that you're going to have a lot of challenges. What do I mean by challenges? There's always going to be a time in the process where you get into something called deal fatigue. You're going to get worn out. There is no one that I've met, and I've seen a lot of them try it, try to run their business. You're trying to run your business 70 hours a week. Now, multiply that times two because you're trying to sell your business. There's not enough hours in the week. So anything you can do up front to kind of smoothen that, knowing you're going to be exhausted is to your benefit. And the reality is you're going to have deal fatigue any way you cut it. Anything you can do up front that will help you make it as smooth as possible is in your best interest. Deal fatigue. That's a good one. That's a good lesson. So, you know, I want to ask you this question, and it's uh, a little deeper. Dave, you are a deep soul. It's been an honor to get to meet Thank you, you. To listen to you present, to have you on this podcast today and have you share with our audience. What will your legacy be? Well, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm challenging, you know, you and the folks last weekend to the notion we're go we're going to live to 100. I mean, I think science is there. I think we're healthier. I think there's a lot of things we can do. And so I see helping people through the process, transcending law, but helping them through the entire process of growing their business so that they can leave it on their terms. I think the big thing that exists that I can't always do in law, but I can do in helping them through a business continuity plan is give them as maximize their control over themselves in the business. Because I've yet to meet anyone who wants to be a victim to business, yeah. right? At the end of the day. Yeah, count me out of that one. <laughs> yeah. And so I am part of this is my growth in trying to look well beyond the law. I mean, I'm not an MBA, okay? I'm not a CPA. I'm not an insurance guy. But I've seen enough other things uh, to lead me to conclude there's a place for someone to come in here to help 
the individual grab the reins to look at the entire business continuity plan that they should have for themselves, their business, their family, their employees, and the customers. So that's where I'm going. And I'm going to be learning as I uh, go along. And the fun part about it is you get to really know people and you can start a process of really invading their business. I don't invade their business as much as I want to, but I'm an attorney. I'm brought in on specific issues. Um, But as I've gotten more into uh, my business succession planning, people are inviting me in because everybody needs help. The question is, do they need your help or where do they go for help? Uh, you know, and the ultimate reality is I can provide and will continue to provide and think I can grow into that with people to help them through the totality of it. Because for me, law is a vehicle, but it's not the only vehicle of services I can bring to the table. That's really good. That's really good. So if people want to connect with you and yes, uh, get more of you, uh, more lessons learned, uh, you mentioned a podcast earlier. What, what are the best ways to connect? There's quite a few ways, actually. Uh, first of all, there is the book, Quiet Plans and uh, Exciting Results. It's available on Audible as well. You can get the printed version. Uh, or the audible version, you can listen to my podcast, Show Me the Way, and of all the people I interview there, and that'll give you a little flavor of what I have done and people that I've helped. Uh, You can contact me at Spencer Fain, our uh, headquarters in Kansas City. Uh, uh, We are at 816-474-8100 and ask for me. I'm at D Sider S-E-I-T-T-E-R at Spencer Fain, S-P-E-N as in Nancy, C-E-R-F-A-N as in Nancy E dot com. You'll find me I have a YouTube channel that I haven't started to populate. You can find me on LinkedIn. So there, there are quite a few ways you can run me down. I have my own website, davesider.com. So okay. I, I'm, if you put me out there, there's probably, or put the name out, there's probably any number of ways to, uh, to run me down. Well, I highly recommend connecting with this man because it's been a great connection for me. In fact, I look forward to the conversations to come. You know, you've given me some things to think about with succession planning. Maybe it's Nico. <laughs> you got to be <laughs> grandson over the weekend. Who knows? Yeah, you know? Nico. Yes. Yeah. He's only one right now, so I don't know how he feels about that. We'll have to find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you inviting me to be on your podcast, Travis. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Any any final words? I would always say this at the end of the day, and again, I quoted it uh, for all of you business owners. I think it was John Adams writing a letter to his wife. This is courtesy of David McCullough, who wrote the book on John Adams. And it was during the difficult time of the Revolutionary War, which most of that time was difficult. He said to his wife something to the effect, I am not sure of our ultimate success, but I have something much more important to give you. And that is that we deserve our success. I think everyone that listens into your podcast deserves success in their business endeavors. That is so good. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for the honor of having you on the show. And thank you for sharing with our audience today. Thank you. Thank you, Travis. Thanks for listening, Overcomer Nation. Make sure if you haven't already, give us a five-star rating. Make sure that you share this and subscribe so you can see all of our future content. That's right. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future show, go to overcomers-podcast.com. If you're interested in our franchise opportunities with Journey 333, then go to www.journeyfitness333.com. And finally, if you like what you heard today and you feel like you're somebody that needs a bit more coaching, go to travisbarnes.com. Yeah!